from Kurtco Media. Alaska, Argentina, Austria, Japan. On today's episode, we're going to explore the world's top ski destinations with somebody who has skied them all. Olympic gold medalist and hella skiing pioneer, Tommy Moe. I'm your host, Bruce Wallen, and this is Travel That Matters. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of season two of Travel That Matters. This is the podcast where we explore the world's most exceptional and meaningful travel experiences, and we meet some of the fascinating people who make them possible. Now, I've been a travel editor for more than 20 years, and I can honestly say that I've never been so excited about travel as I am for 2022. I don't need to rehash everything we've all been through the past couple of years, but I will say I just got back from the ILTM Luxury Travel Conference in France, and one thing was absolutely clear. We have a lot to look forward to as travelers in 2022. We also, of course, have a lot to look forward to on season two of Travel That Matters. We have a fantastic lineup of guests ranging from safari legend Jeffrey Kent to women's travel pioneer Deborah Kalamire. But first, we're going to start with someone who knows more about one of my favorite pursuits, skiing, than just about anyone else on the planet. I'm talking about the Olympic gold medalist downhiller, Tommy Moe. Now, not only has Tommy skied just about everywhere you can as a professional racer and as an Olympian, but he's also a private guide in Jackson Hole, and he's the co-owner and founder of the Tordrillo Mountain Lodge in Alaska, where, as we'll soon hear, you can find some of the most incredible terrain for hella skiing anywhere on earth. We're going to talk to Tommy about his particular fondness for Alaska, where he spent much of his childhood not only skiing, but also rafting, fishing, mountain biking, and how all of those activities, and even more extreme ones, are part of the fun at Tordrillo. We're also going to speak with Tommy about his favorite places to ski around the world, from the Chilean Andes to the French Alps, from Jackson Hole all the way to Japan. After hearing from him... Be sure to stick around for my wrap-up when I run through some of the hot new destinations for 2022 I learned about at ILTM. But for now, let's talk skiing, Alaska, and adventure with Tommy Moe. Tommy Moe, so great to have you on Travel That Matters. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. So I want to start with Via Ferrata. I did the Via Ferrata courses in the Dolomites a few years back, and I absolutely loved it. And I know you guys recently developed a Via Ferrata program at Tordrillo. Could you just explain for the audience what Via Ferrata is and give us a sense of what that experience is like in Alaska? The Tordrillo program mostly was skiing and fishing and rafting. And so we, we were filming a show with uh, Nat Geo called Ultimate Survivor Alaska probably about 10 years ago and they were doing some filming up on this peak and we looked at it it just looked like really great rock climbing and we got the inspiration to hire some canadians and some europeans and they came over and designed this it's iron way so it's basically a ladder system with cables we put it in three years ago and it's one of the most beautiful areas in alaska because you climb up above this vast glacier called the triumvirate and it gives people a chance to rock climb that normally never would that's what I loved about it. So you don't have to be a professional rock climber, but you can 
have that experience where you're getting up on the top of this peak that looks insurmountable. I mean, it's amazing. And then the views and you're, you're experiencing these things that, you know, only a select few people would have been able to do. And, and, you know, you don't have to be an expert. Oh, for sure. I think the big thing at our lodge is we just have multi-sport activities. We're known as a ski lodge. And when we started the Via Ferrata program, it just, it's eight minutes from the lodge via helicopter. And we fly up there and we do a really great safety briefing and show people how to climb up the cliff and it's super safe and you can coach them and really get intimate as you're scaling the cliff and it seems almost surreal that you're on a cliff face but once you kind of coach them through it and and get your momentum going you can you can ascend and have a great climb I want to get to the skiing of course that's the big thing we want to talk about we want to hear about your top destinations for 2022 but Tell us about the area right around Torgillo and and what there is to do in that area, specifically in the summer. We'll get to the skiing later. Mike Overcast and I, he's my business partner. We started Kings and Corn in 1998. Basically, it's a fishing trip and a skiing trip. So we kind of piggyback both sports. So we'd go skiing in the morning and then come back and go fishing in the afternoon and rafting. And so we started that back in 98. And then we opened up the Tordrillo Mountain Lodge in 2006. And basically the whole area is is sandwiched in between two national parks. To the north is Denali National Park. And then to the south is Lake Clark National Park. And the Tordrillo area is in South Central Alaska. And it has, I don't know, four or five million acres of just pretty much outback or in Alaska, they call it the bush. So it's, there's no road. So basically the only way to get it out to the Tordrillo Mountain Lodge or to other areas in that area, you have to fly an airplane or take a helicopter. So when you fly out there, it's amazing because it's all like wetlands and rivers and lakes. And if you're into outdoors, it's a sportsman's paradise. Tommy first arrived in Alaska as a young phenom to attend an elite skiing academy. But even after all the years of training, competing, and traveling, he never lost his passion for the sport. So I asked Tommy what it is he loves about skiing and what it means to him today. Before even I was a ski racer, I was more of a free skier. I just enjoyed being out there skiing in the powder and hitting jumps and being able to go rip around and just have fun. And and I love that aspect of skiing. I live here in Jacksonville, Wyoming. I have two daughters, Taylor's 14 and Taryn's 12. And the best thing for me is actually just taking my kids out and free skiing with them in the powder and on great days, sunny days, ripping the groomers. That's the one of the best things about having kids is being able to go out and rip with them. But then also I do a lot of guiding in Alaska and also here in Jackson. And so for me now, it's more about showing people a really great time. Just I've had people tell me like that was the best day of my life. And that's when I really understand what guiding or just showing people an experience that they've never had. And it's just one of the, the most gratifying things is, is to blow people's minds. Hellas King must do that quite a bit. And especially in the, you know, the terrain that you guys are in, I've heard it at Torgillo, you can, you know, frequently, I guess might be the first person ever to ski down a, a given route or run or something. Is that, is that true? That is true. That's called the first descent. I've been up there flying around where I've skied similar runs and in similar terrain. And then I went around the corner and went, oh my God, look at all these. There's like six or seven more runs right around the corner that you couldn't even see. So it's an amazing area because there's just so many different areas to it. It's uh, 2 million acres of ski terrain. So there's a lot of different first descents for people that want them. I'm sure you have a lot of first descents under your belt there yeah. at, at Tortrilla and, and elsewhere probably. What's the one piece of advice that you would offer someone who's never been hella skiing but is, but is curious about it? 
do your homework, you know, check, check around. And there's a ton of heli skiing companies in the U S there's a bunch in Canada. There's a ton in Alaska. You definitely want to make sure you're skiing well, because if you're going to spend the money, you definitely want to make sure you're getting your value by, by not slowing down the other guests in the group, make sure you have the right equipment and then definitely do a little bit of training, you know, in the off season or in the fall here. Now, like if you're going on a trip that's say in December or January of this year, you know, go hit the gym, go jump on the bike. I like your point about, you know, getting in shape and, and making that effort because you're, you're going to get out of it what you what you put into it. Right. And so you don't want to you don't want to get there, have a great day of skiing your first day and then wake up, you know, with a sore back and oh, yeah. legs and you can't even get out, get out of bed the second day. So I think that's an important piece of advice is get ready, get ready. That's for sure. I think, you know, skiing is one of those sports where it take it does take a few days to kind of get your legs under you. So if you're going to take a heli ski trip this year, go hit the resort and you know ski a bunch of verticals so that you get your legs ready and and you know what to expect. And 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 then of course watch the weather. That way you'll have a little mindset of what's going to happen and you'll be all teed up and ready for a trip of a lifetime. What about someone who's maybe not at the Tommy Mo level of skiing? How does that work in the Alaskan terrain? The thing that we're trying to promote is that Alaska is not always about super steep death defier, you know, hairball runs. The biggest thing for us is actually matching the terrain with the skier's ability. So we try to go up there and we'll do a little warm up day and, and, you know, see how everybody's skiing, get their legs going. And then as soon as they want to ramp it up a little bit, we'll take a little bite off a little steeper terrain and, and we'll take them right to the edge of their comfort zone and then kind of scale it back a little bit. And what, what are the age groups you're getting there? Are you getting kids all the way up to, you know, senior citizens? What's the, what does that look like? Well, we get a lot of father-son groups that come up and even families, but I'd say, you know, minimum age for a lot of visitors, probably I'd say 12, 13 years old is kind of the minimum. Just, you don't really want to spoil them too young by heli skiing. You want to, you want to <laughs> take them and ski the East coast a little bit, and then maybe a little, uh, the West coast. And then maybe for the, the cherry on top, you take them heli skiing in Alaska or Canada or something. Tell us a little bit about the lot that you go back to. Okay. So you, you skied. 10 massive runs in the Alaskan wilderness. You are exhausted. You are beat. You go back to what? That's the cool thing about the Tordrilla Mountain Lodge is you, you fly back to the lodge. You know, you walk in the door. They probably have some nice apps, you know, some Alaskan affair, oysters, Alaskan shrimps, you know, have a little appetizer and then roll into the sauna or the hot tub or even a massage. And then, of course, we have a great chefs, great wine list. And so the, the cool thing about our place is the luxury of it. I think a lot of skiers that have skied all over the world, they really know what fine service is like. So we try to deliver the best service that we can with the best food and the, and the best guides and just try to make their trip unlike any other experience they've ever had in their life. So that is clearly one of your top destinations for 2022. What is the season for Turgerilla for skiing? Skiing season for uh, 2022 starts this year, uh, February 20th, and it goes through the end of April. So it's about a 10-week season, and the, and the trips go Saturday to Saturday. You know, 40-minute flight, and you're right there at TML, and we get you tucked in, and, and skis organized, and get you tapped up for a great week. In addition to Alaska, Tommy has skied all over the world as a competitor and as an enthusiast. So who better to tell us what should be on our bucket list as skiers and snowboarders? I asked him to share some of his favorite spots, starting with another place that is particularly close to his heart and home. I think I have to stick with my guns and go Jackson Hole, Wyoming. 
I moved here in 1994 and, you know, I've seen the resort evolve from basically just a mom and pop ski resort. Now it has high-speed tramway. We have three gondolas. We have high-speed lifts. And I just like the fact that Jackson is, is somewhat of a hardcore resort. The biggest thing about Jackson is it's a skier's mountain. It's always been 4,129 feet of pure fall lines. And you can go out and you can ski 4,000 feet of great powder if, and have a great backcountry run or just ski the front side, which has the amazing Hobacks and Altus chutes and Tower 3 chutes. And it's just all fall line. There's no traversing whatsoever. I think Jackson, too, has changed a lot over the years in terms of everything else other than the skiing has always been great at Jackson. But talk to me a little bit about how the, the, the community has evolved and, and, and what it's like for the, the tourist experience there. I think the, you know, the biggest improvement that I've seen at the resort is basically just nicer new hotels. They have a Four Seasons hotel right at the base. They have the TML, not Tordrillo Mountain Lodge, it's the Teton Mountain Lodge. There's a number of different hotels, the Caldera House, which is super fancy. Uh, and the cool thing is, is if you're at the resort, you can just roll out of your condo or your hotel and put your boots on. And it's a short little walk right over to the slope side and jump on the gondola or the tram and away you go. Nice. Okay. Let's move on to another top Tommy Moe ski destination. We have Tordrillo in Alaska. We have Jackson Hole. And now what do we got? I'm going to have to go where I was born and raised in Whitefish Mountain Resort. It's up in Northwest Montana. It's kind of a under the radar type place. People show up at the lift, you know, on a good day and everybody's friendly and tons of really nice glades, though. Perfect, you know, space trees, long runs and a super cool town down, I think, 10 miles from the resort. I love it. You know, I, I've been to Whitefish in the summer. Haven't been in, I haven't skied there, but um, it's a fantastic area. I mean, Glacier National Park's right there. You've got an incredible lake, great little town, too. I love that town. But Big Sky gets all the attention, right? Everyone talks Big Sky when they're talking about Montana. Whitefish never comes up. So I really like this pick. Tell me, like, why would you go to Whitefish instead of uh, Big Sky, which is, you know, one of the great mountains anywhere, for sure. You know, Big Mountain initially was the name of Whitefish Mountain Resort. And so oftentimes people would go to Big Mountain thinking they were at Big Sky. (laughs) (laughs) So they changed the name to Whitefish Mountain Resort. And of course, I love Big Sky, too. I skied there a bunch when I was younger and Anywhere in Montana, I think there's, there's so many great resorts in Montana and Wyoming and Idaho that the list goes on. So, okay, <laughs> you've mentioned Wyoming, Montana, and Alaska. You're someone who grew up in Montana and Alaska. Obviously, you have a, an ability to withstand cold that most people <laughs> may not have. I mean, as a, as a California kid, skiing in Big Sky or in Whitefish, is, you know, it's a, it's a challenge sometimes, especially with the, with the kids. Take us somewhere that's a little more kid-friendly and, and, and warmer weather. I'll have to bring up Taos, New Mexico. There we go. That's a good one. Yeah, Taos is fun. Actually, I, I'd never been. I went down there two years ago. Uh, I had a great time. I stayed at this new Blake Hotel they, they just built, and we went up and skied you know, the mountain proper and had a great time. But then they put in a new lift up on Kachina Peak, and it has pretty much black diamonds all the way down to the bottom. And... In all the years that I'd been skiing, I'd never even heard of Taos, barely, or even been there, but it's like being in Colorado or something with, with no people. And then you have a great little, again, with the, the town of Taos, is a fascinating place. I mean, just incredible, you know, arts and crafts scene and, and everything like that. I mean, that's a, it's a great, com- it's, not your, it's not your classic ski town. No, it isn't. It has the adobe buildings. You're way down there in, in New Mexico, but the elevation's super high and they get a lot of really good snow. And the cool thing about New Mexico is 
not that many people end up going down there. That's great. If someone who's been everywhere and and just just two years ago went to Taos for the first time and you had that reaction. So that does say a lot about that destination. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to speak with Olympic gold medalist Tommy Moe about his top ski destinations around the globe. Welcome back to my conversation with Olympic gold medalist and heliskiing pioneer, Tommy Moe. Take us somewhere outside of the United States, just one of these, you know, exotic resorts that you skied at as a competitor, and then you've kind of gone back to in love. If we're going to go with a European ski resort, I'm going to go with Val d'Isere, France. The ski area in itself has like three different mountains that you can, you can go from the village, and the architecture there is all stone and and wood and you got the cool little crepe shops and the pizzerias and and i raced there in 1992 for the winter olympics and my dad and family came over and i have a lot of great memories from val d'isere and actually one time i remember when we were there for a world cup downhill and it ended up snowing about a meter and we had an incredible powder day so we got to explore all the surrounding ski terrain that was away from the race course and that place is vast you can ski for days there without taking the same run What's that like when you've got, you know, a bunch of World Cup or, you know, Olympic skiers can't race because, uh, you know, a meter of snow has fallen and you all go out and free ski for, for a day. That must be so fun. Those are actually some of my, my best memories, Bruce, because we'd, we'd be at these venues and it'd snow a meter and a lot of the Europeans would just be like, ah, oh, I'm going back to my hotel. I'm done. Finished. <laughs> but then like the U.S. team and the Canadian team, we'd be like, let's go build a kicker. <laughs> We'd be in like Las Lanias, Argentina one time, and some of my teammates were doing double backflips. And I remember another time we were in Garmisch, Germany, and it snowed a you know, meter, and it was just amazing free skiing. And this one memory keeps coming back to my mind. It was I was in St. Anton, Austria for another World Cup race, and it snowed a meter. And that was amazing because we were taking all these different T-bars up through the different ski area zones, and it was just like awesome time. Okay, well, well, actually, let's talk about skiing in Europe and how it is different. Because, I, I, you know, I, it is, I've done it a few times in Dolmites and, and in Austria, and it really is a different experience than it is in the U.S. And it's spectacular for different reasons, you know. It's, it's, and, and tell us a little bit about what you love about that experience. You mentioned kind of the chalets and the places you can stop along the way. Oh, I love skiing in Europe. I mean, the first time I went to Europe to ski was in Austria. I went to, like, eastern Austria. It wasn't, like, the best ski area just the fact that you're traveling over to Europe, you know, it's the old country. They got the churches with the steeples and the the cool little towns with the little kind of medieval atmospheres. I just love the hotels, though. The hotels are so cool because they're like bed and breakfast almost. I think just when you look at the hillside and you see all the guest houses and the, the little hotels with the, the classic chalet kind of proper roof lines and, and cool little balconies with flowers on them and the food, of course, is insane. You got to have your schnitzel in Austria. And oftentimes when I travel, I, I was with a teammate or a serviceman and we figured it out after a while how to, you know, to get to Innsbruck and, you know, travel over to Zurich or, or go to over to, you know, all the European resorts, you know, are connected by the Autobahns. And we ended up traveling around for years and I had a great time. 
you know, you can also get lost on the mountains themselves. They're, they're so massive and you can end up in the completely wrong village if you don't know what you're doing. And so I, I actually, I, that is one place where I highly, highly recommend a guide. And I'm sure you, you would too, given that you do guide both in Alaska and in, in Wyoming. So actually, tell us a little bit about that, like the advantages of a guide, especially if it's your first time at a given resort. I think it's a great way to go. Like even in Jackson Hole, like a lot of people show up and they kind of look at the trail map and try to figure it out themselves, but you're saving yourself a lot of time. And if you hire a guide or an instructor, they can just like look at your ski ability and they'll take you right to where not everybody else is is skiing and you're gonna have a much better time and and also a lot of them are uh you know great ski coaches and they're professional ski instructors and they'll give you a little feedback here and there how to improve your skiing and it's a great way to go especially if you're in in some of the bigger ski resorts like in europe especially because you don't want to end up missing the lift and then having to take a taxi ride for an hour and a half to get back to your hotel (laughs) (laughs) can absolutely happen (laughs) they also know where the good snow is at what time of the day that's a big one that like you know you just you don't know that coming into a ski resort and they do know that they do especially uh with the aspect of the sun and because a lot of times it looks really good but it can be like crusty on southern aspects so they'll kind of play the sun game a little bit and at least i do even in alaska and wyoming where you just got to stay on some of the shaded aspects at certain times of the years because the snow's a lot better. It's no fun skiing on a coral reef. Okay, so get a guide to avoid the coral reef and, and of course, not get lost. What about one place we haven't talked about is Canada. What is your recommendation there? I think I'd have to go with Revelstoke, BC. It, it is a relatively new new resort. It has vast vertical. I think it was like 4,000 feet of vertical. But the other thing that we did there that was super cool is we went heli skiing with with Selkirk Tangier. So it's kind of fun to to tap into ski resorts that also have heli skiing. So in case, you know, you ski the resort a couple of days and then throw in one day a heli, you kind of get the whole ball of wax. Sounds fantastic. What about, I, I have never skied in the Southern Hemisphere before. What are some of your favorite spots down there? And what is that like? I think for going to South America, my favorite choice is Portillo. The cool thing about Portillo is they only allow about 400 guests per week. So there's no lift line queues, amazing terrain. They have two different sides of the mountain that have almost views of Aconcagua. And you go there for a week and it's cool at the hotel because it's super intimate. So like at the in the dining area, they have backgammon tables. And over the week, you'll get to know a lot of the other guests. They have this one lift called the Roka Jack, and it's basically a palma lift. As you know, a palma lift's like a little saucer that you kind of sit on, and it tows you up the mountain. But in Portillo, they have one that's a five-passenger, and you get yanked up basically this giant avalanche apron. It's pretty steep, but it's not bad. You know, it's kind of like a challenging blue run, just a big, perfect kind of planar slope. You go up the Roka Jack, and you can see Aconcagua from there. You're looking down over the lake, Portillo, and the hotel, and just a really cool setup there. And the other area that's kind of along the same lines that I really enjoyed was Las Lanas, Argentina. Flying to Mendoza, take the bus or drive over there. But Las Lanas is almost like Jackson Hole in a way. It's all alpine, no trees, but vast ski area. Just like, you know, probably three or 4,000 acres of skiable terrain with, you know, a little bit of everything, you know, blues, blacks, and a little more old school. But Las Lanas is, is definitely on a hit list, I'd say, for somebody that's never skied in, in South America. Let's skip over to another place many North Americans have not skied, and that is Japan. I know you comp- 
competed there as an Olympian, and I've heard amazing things about skiing there. What is that like? I had a really cool trip like 10 years ago. I went to Niseko, Japan. Of course, I competed in the Olympics in 1998 in Hakuba, Japan, and that's where the 98 Olympics were. And, and I had a great ski there. It was right in the Japanese Alps and loved it. But then I went back about 10 years ago. I went back to Hokkaido, flew into Sapporo, and then had the opportunity to do a little powder skiing for 10 days in Niseko, Hapaone, and fell in love with it, of course. And that, did you heli ski there or were you just at the resort or is it a combination? I didn't do any heli skiing, but I know they do have a little bit of heli skiing and some backcountry there. They do have like an open gate policy now in Niseko where you can go up the lifts and then you go through these backcountry gates and you can go out and ski some, some off piece. So it's pretty exciting. And, and that's another thing. Like I have not done the J- Japan ski trip. It's, it's high, high on my list. But, you know, like Europe, you're getting this amazing, completely different cultural experience that, you know, quite frankly, you know, as, as an American, I'm not going to get in Jackson Hole or, or in, in Montana, but it's just like, that must just add to the experience so much there. Oh, when I was there in Niseko, we, we did this other little trip, kind of a sidecar over to uh, this other little resort, had a tram, it's called the Saidaki. And we stayed in these little like Japanese hotels where they were like totally authentic. Like you had your robe, you went down to the onsen, and then you could wear your robe to breakfast and or dinner and just a cool atmosphere. And it's kind of, for me, it's one of those places I'd love to take my kids. Well, Tommy, it's been so fun having you here. I, I am more excited for ski season than, than I was even before. And so many new places to think about for this season. So thank you so much for joining us. Let's get back to normal and go rip some laps on the mountain. Have a good time. Thank you. And now for the Wallen Wrap-Up. My conversation with Tommy really did get me excited about ski season this year, but I'm also excited about all the other opportunities that are opening up to travelers in 2022. As I mentioned earlier, I recently got back from ILTM, which is the world's top luxury travel conference, and there was so much enthusiasm and optimism about what's to come this year for the industry and, more importantly, for travelers. Just to give you a taste, a few of the things that really piqued my interest And just note, we'll have links to all of these places I am about to mention in the show notes. It is a lot, so my apologies in advance to producer Dara Stone. First up, Glen Eagles, the epic golf and country resort in Scotland, is about to open a new hotel in Edinburgh called the Glen Eagles Townhouse. It's right on St. Andrew's Square, only has 30 rooms plus a private club. It's the perfect like town and country pairing with resort. You get a little bit of the city and culture, then out to the country for golf archery, falconry, scotch tasting, whatever pursuit suits you. Madrid. This is a city that I love, but it's never really had the same level of hotels as, you know, say a London or a Paris. Now it does. Madrid is definitely having a moment and leading the way are the wonderfully redone and reopened Ritz Madrid, which is now a Mandarin Oriental hotel, and the very chic Villa Magna, which just reopened as part of Rosewood Hotels. Another European city that should be on your radar in 2022 is Oslo, where the brand new Munch Museum just opened and Norway's National Museum is reopening this summer, as is the new Samaro Hotel from Preferred Hotels. There's also a lot going on in Vienna, including the new Hotel Motto and another upcoming hotel from Rosewood, and in French wine country, in a small village in Burgundy, Como Hotels will be opening an elegant retreat called Les Montrachets. Moving beyond Europe, we've got the new Four Seasons Hotels to look forward to on the Costa Alegre, which is just down the coast from me here in Mexico. 
as well as in Nashville. Also stateside, we have an Amman opening up in New York City this May, as well as the Parisian hotel Les Fouquettes opening what looks to be a very cool New York outpost in Greenwich. There's a Conrad Hotel opening in downtown LA. There's Preferred Hotels, New Amrit Resort in Singer Island, Florida, and much, much more farther afield. There'll be a new Six Senses in Morocco, a Kempinski Hotel in Tel Aviv, and the extravagant and over-the-top Royal from Atlantis in Dubai, which I think will have 10 different restaurants from chefs like Heston Blumenthal and Jose Andres. Beyond hotels, the big news is the launch of the Ritz-Carlton Yacht Collection this spring, which we've talked about on a previous episode of Travel That Matters. That looks to be a truly spectacular option on the seas as cruising hopes to get back on track. There's also what's called the greatest safari on earth from Roar Africa and Emirates Airways, which you'll hear all about on the next episode of Travel That Matters when I speak with the very inspiring founder of Roar Africa, Deborah Kalmeyer. So stay tuned to Travel That Matters and start planning your adventures for 2022. I'd like to thank Tommy Mo for joining us today on Travel That Matters. For more information about all the fantastic destinations we talked about today, please check out the show notes or visit kurtco.com. The show is produced for Kurtco Media by AJ Mosley and Dara Stone. Music by Joey Salvia. I'm Bruce Walton, and we'll see you down the road. Thank you.